Welcome to McKinsey Talks Talent, featuring McKinsey leaders and talent experts Brian Hancock and Bill Shanninger. I'm Lucia Rahili. We're seeing an explosion of supply of available workspaces of even more shapes and sizes and feeling and locations. So giving employees access to that total ecosystem of spaces actually can provide a higher perception of of performance or workplace satisfaction than one location, one office could ever give them. That's McKinsey senior expert, Phil Kirshner. He joins us to talk about our new hybrid workplace and that not quite anachronistic space we know of as the office. Phil, welcome to the podcast. So delighted to be here. We have seen a lot of media coverage in recent weeks on the return to the office including some CEOs coming out super forcefully, essentially mandating return. And at the same time, other leaders seem to be walking back previous recommendations about whether and how often they expect folks to come in. Phil, any sense of whether employees are actually responding to the call to return to the office? Yeah, I think generally speaking, they're not. Um, And it's important to go back a little bit to the pre-COVID times and understand, first, we, we weren't in the office 100% of the time before. Almost anyone I ever talked to, any client I ever served, wanted one or two days more flexibility than they had officially. So now we have a choice to be there. And because it wasn't that great to be in before, uh, we find ourselves at this impasse where employers feel they have to order somebody in. But that is new all around to go back to something that they didn't really like or want to be in all the time prior to COVID. And Brian, you're talking to business leaders every day. What are your clients telling you about what they think is at stake as they're grappling with this challenge of bringing people back to the office? They're seeing two things at stake. One, they're trying to figure out, how do I get the people that I need to execute on the mission? And so as they're trying to come up with the strategies, they're trying to figure out, okay, am I going to lose somebody? If I have too stringent a policy or on the flip side, can I attract somebody if I open up my availability for talent anywhere in the country? And we're recognizing is there is some work that can absolutely be done anywhere. Individual contributor work, going through your emails doesn't require you to be in the office. But there is some work in particular coaching, mentoring, some of the creative interactions that happen together that do require people to be together and require them to be together on a somewhat regular basis. And that balance does require some degree of flexibility, but some degree of in-person interaction. Bill, we talked on this podcast recently about what at least appears to be a rise in worker power given the super tight labor market right now. Do you actually think this recent spate of mandates will work to jolt folks back into getting back into that workspace, into the office? I'm surprised that we've had this run of of mandates. But I think people have gotten a taste now of not all work needs to be done in a cube with the door closed. You don't have to drive 90 minutes to go get on a Zoom. And, you know, I just wish that if the amount of horsepower we put into working capital, cost-cutting, new sales approaches. We just put that into discerning which work really needs to be done together. And there is enough. I mean, meaningful kicking off of projects, you might need two weeks together to say, let's define it, let's scope it, let's lay it out. And then once you have the work streams running, good governance, right? But why not let the work drive it, right? Some work needs to be done together. 
but not a spurious mandate, not a we're back in charge now orientation. I think that's a fool's errand and you will just continue to destroy your value proposition. How do you think the design and the configuration of the office dovetail with the design of an organization's tasks and its roles and its culture? There's a cool science behind it. To me, this is as much about power as it was about anything else, not only, but a lot about power. But I mean, we should let Phil tell us where we're at because we've had this weird interruption for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've reminded me the very first pilot of any workplace mobility program, which is to say when we when we come to the office, we share things, all of us. Uh, at the end of that very first pilot, one of the senior managers who, Bill, as you described, had been in an office forever and used to seeing the same set of people working outside his office forever, realized and said on camera something you, you think we would have paid him to say. Uh, he goes, I feel like I have lost my office through this transition, but I've gained a floor. I have all this diversity and access, not just to meet different people, but to use different typologies of spaces and technologies and, and signals and, uh, and sort of feeling and design throughout my day to best serve my needs and the needs of my team. Uh, so that's been happening in the decades sort of leading up to COVID, a real uh, emphasis on the fact that space can signal what it's good for. And if you untether people from the desk and, and most importantly, train the managers to rethink what it means to know that someone is or isn't being productive, uh, they can truly lean into a wider variety of spaces. And, and especially now with our post-COVID world, we're seeing an explosion of supply of things that are available workspaces of even more shapes and sizes and feeling and locations that any one employer could ever provide. So giving employees access to that total ecosystem of spaces actually can provide empirically a higher perception of, of performance or workplace satisfaction than one location, one office could ever give them. Back to Brian's point about uh, attracting talent. Obviously, all of us would prefer to go into a nicer office versus a shoddier office. We all like good coffee. We all like high quality snacks, but that doesn't necessarily compensate, for example, for um, suddenly needing to resume a commute, especially with the rising price of gas. How does the office and this new office in the way that you're invoking have a role in helping to attract workers back to in-person work? There, there was some great research by Steelcase, the office furniture manufacturer, um, who obviously has a lot at stake about what the future of the office looks like. And they did some great research of, of individual workers to determine what kind of spaces were going to be most attractive or most needed, and therefore what the future office uh, would look like. You know, they saw that there would be a rise in the need for individual spaces, not open floor access, but individual places where you can in quiet get work done. And they're seeing that a number of workers, in particular younger workers, they need a place to go to do that individual work, or at least a subset would like to have that option available sometime. There's also a rise in the need for real team space. So not just the occasional conference room, but actually the time to get together as a team, to have the right space together, to have the right access to the tools they need to collaborate, also the right access for snacks and other pieces. But you know, but do you have a convenient team space with the right setup, or is it an old conference room that's been converted, the needs might be a little bit different, but are we thinking about the right team space? It really is thinking through the individual need, 
the team need, and the need for compelling broader space? And are we meeting all of those? I think if they are, then it makes it a uh, even more attractive workplace, you know, for the workers. Phil, I'd love your thoughts. Now, I'm really glad you brought up the, the point just about younger workers because there is definitely a statistical correlation between the quality of the environment you have at home and your likelihood to want to overcome the friction of going to the office because the the younger workers are more likely to have three roommates and two cats and sitting at the dining room table versus uh, all of us who are sitting within an enclosed space with a door, um, which we're fortunate to have either at an office or in our home. I mean, you know, the office was the bully pulpit, right? The, the main the main hallway walking down, right? You know, where you saw that. Think about how many movies and TV shows where the 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 centrality of the ecosystem was the office in terms of the power dynamic. So it's not surprising to me that the people who've been in charge are still anchored on that construct because it's what they've known and how they've been trained. When you saw libraries become less central because everything is accessible digitally, you saw a massive movement out of the physical space of libraries. So this is what I think is interesting in terms of we've had a generation now entering the workforce who can is used to accessing everything all the time anywhere is a solo endeavor. A huge portion of what we're doing at work is not a solo endeavor. It requires working with others. So there is there is a pretty significant collide here in terms of the nature of the work changing, their experience on both ends, the folks who are in charge and the folks coming in the workforce. They're not they're they're not experienced with the sort of the fluidity that Phil's describing. It's a massive mismatch. One of the interesting things that I've seen of people just entering the workforce, there was a survey done of college graduates coming out. And very, very few wanted to work remotely five days a week. So there was an interest in having flexibility of when and where they work, but they wanted to come in some because they wanted the connectivity to where they're working and they wanted connectivity and mentorship with the generations above them. So in some cases, what I've seen is the need not just to get those young kids that are used to working lots of different places in, it's making sure that the people who can mentor and who are just happy to be remote in their vacation house in Aspen or in the Hamptons, getting those people into the office because that mentorship is something that is important to the new joiners and also important for the overall development and health of the organization. Uh, I find myself telling executives a lot these days, congratulations, you are the new amenity. It used to be the gym, the cafeteria, oh, I can bring puppies to work, whatever it is, you are the new amenity. Um, I spoke to the head of real estate for a large bank that's just done a, a major headquarters relocation during COVID. Beautiful building. Everything is like top tier. And she said, yeah, people are really excited to come in. And I said, what is it that is bringing people in? And knowing this is a European bank, they've got a beer garden in the building, like everything you could ever conceive of as an amenity. I said, what, what's bringing people in? And she said, the other people, and which is a really hard thing to admit for the head of facilities. Uh, but it's true. How do you make the transition from co-location to collaboration? A lot of young people might say, well, I can collaborate virtually just as well as I can sitting in a silent open plan office. Uh, so I used, to, I used to work at WeWork. And the most common question I probably got from executives who would come to see our headquarters building. So not a, not a traditional member building, but a building full of WeWork employees and leadership. 
uh, they'd step off the elevator, be within eye shot of the elevator, coat still in hand, and ask, why does it feel this way? Like, what am I, what energy am I feeling? I'd say this is a carefully curated combination of sort of design and technology and people, community managers, baristas, whoever it is. This is a hospitality context brought to an office. And you're feeling something wherein it is incredibly open. It's very dense from the perspective of how it's built. But the people that you see all around are quite comfortable being quite close to each other, as all of us are, in like the hot new restaurant, sat shoulder to shoulder with other people who are not related to us at all. But it's okay because it's a vibe. It's an experience. And in most offices where they may be beautifully designed but are not activated for that kind of connection and, and ongoing experience, it's sort of scary. We feel exposed and, you know, somebody somebody sneezes and everybody pops their head up and goes like, what was that? And that was before COVID. So and now it's even worse. I think it's interesting that you raise the point of sitting so close together. Proximity is a, is a, is a difficult word these days, but it's very important for delivery of experience. Given how closely configured people have been in open office plans recently, is it really such a negative if fewer folks are in the office on any given day? At most, in let's say financial services, trading environments, regulated, in the office, right, the highest numbers you would ever see would be maybe 85% of an expected population. The explosion of transactional, flexible, serviced spaces all around us, both in in like co-working facilities that were designed to be workplaces, but also every coffee shop, hotel, lobby, gym, bar, bank branch, you name it, where work can and will be done by someone who's carrying a laptop and likes a latte and is willing to you know get their head down in a crowd. What struck me, Phil, about what you said earlier was the hospitality context, the software on top of the hardware. And I think that is a powerful concept. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit for people who are listening are like, ooh, that's interesting. I want to have more of a hospitality vibe to my office. I want to improve the software. Where would you recommend they start? I, the, the short version is like experience is a labor of OPEX, operational expense, not CAPEX, which is like building the thing like that. That's a very simple example. I'm shifting from a, you know, we own this block of space mentality to we all share this environment. A very simple uh, example is office supplies. Who buys the markers for that whiteboard over there? That used to be my whiteboard, but is now our whiteboard. Um, and you just layer on from there to ultimately the the thing that workers most appreciate about the co-working environments is the presence of a community manager who is there not only to connect people, like find find employees uh, of same or different companies with like interests or needs, um, but to resolve issues in the environment, to know that, you know, you try an event, you do Taco Tuesday, and nobody shows up for Taco Tuesday. So next week, it's like, it, uh, cupcake Tuesday, or like it's cold out and we can bring a, a sense of surprise and delight and just say, we've like, we, the, the community team have gone and like bought hot chocolate for everybody because it's freezing today. And when that's happening on a regular basis, both physically and then spilling into the virtual environment for inclusion of, of remote colleagues, um, it's really magnetic. We love being in places like that. Um, and that, you know, I think is going to lead to sort of an explosion of, uh, 
the sort of activation related staff and technology helps certainly having like booking systems and employee experience applications is there, but we, we like to feel taken care of. I think we're out of the habit of the place being central. And we've had two recruiting seasons of the place not being central. So it's like, what's the reboot? Is it bring those two classes back? Is it re-onboard them? Is it onboard them with the classes you're hiring right now? Is it demand that the mid-level execs actually show up, right, to provide some mentorship and some coaching? I mean, I, it feels to me, and I'm curious, Brian, to your thoughts and yours, Phil, that I think we need an intervention in a, in a way of like, if you want to have any chance at all of rebooting the culture where the community means something, you actually need to act like the community means something. I, I think that intervention is purpose, honestly. When asked why aren't my people coming back? Why are we struggling to do this hot desking program? How do we design the office for the future? My most common question to clients now is like, for what purpose? And now we have to go back to basic principles. It's something you, your employees will not sniff out as just jargon or that you're placating them. If you ask any company like which, you know, if all, all of your offices were all to sort of evaporate, which ones would you build back and why? Retailers or even like bank branches, right? They know exactly why a location is where it is. And they scrutinize uh, with incredible intensity and frequency how well that that decision is going, um, foot traffic, sales, whatever it is, and customer engagement. But we've never applied that to, to the places we ask our workers to go to, which again, does not have to be our office, so to speak. Uh, I don't think necessarily that let's say innovation is is a, a default reason for saying, oh, we have to like come in. But even just but saying, uh, we think the role of this office is for, you know, accelerating sales for someone who, who might have gone to, uh, to work for a life sciences firm because they like a medical background or feel passionate about care. To tell someone like this place exists because we are accelerating clinical speed, that, that speaks to them. But some other company might just say, oh, we're, we're doing it to like increase productivity, collaborate more, help our clients. It's not specific enough. If you have a, an organizational purpose that aligns around being good to the planet, being good to the community, increasing like diversity efforts, like, okay, how, how does your office or the places where your employees go speak to that mission? So, Phil, I have, a, I have a question for you on how important it is to have a buzzworthy office. Or is it what's happening there that is more important than the buzzworthy environment itself? Uh, I think the latter. And does it align to what I want to be doing or, or contributing to? And that in and of itself can be a huge magnet without being you know, Instagram worthy per se. Phil, I want to talk a little bit about some concrete examples of what the office of the future might look like. What is an example of the way that the physical workspace can have a role in accelerating learning that's different from virtual learning that you might engage in? One was shifting training rooms from the kind of like windowless basement, you know, awful <laughs> experience that they had been in the past into really like inspiring and pervasive nooks and alcoves in the environment that almost in, like are, are magnetic, again, to use that word, um, to from kind of, you know, thinking of our building as a, you know, vertical 
silo for, for just us into like, what is, what is the role of the campus and the community around us in bringing new ideas and new people into our building or encouraging our people to, to meet and interact with new ideas. So kind of opening the door a little bit. Uh, third, shifting from kind of reservation only spaces to real open activated uh, so-called like centers of gravity, natural places where the, the energy in the building will pool and accelerates the likelihood that you're going to meet or interact with other people. Um, and finally, making it feel a little bit more like home. So it's not just like every day is the same, but that no two days in that place are the same, right? And everything that's happening over and above the built design is kind of forcing you to meet new people, see new things, uh, with a level of, of sort of autonomy that you'd expect at home and not traditionally from the office. Office experiences can lead to that connection you mentioned, but they can also be expensive. Realistically, how can you sell this idea from that financial point of view? The usual average is something like ten dollars to $15,000 per seat per year in the sort of average carrying cost of having an office. And while you still got that office now, the idea of of spending more on experience, like, oh, we're going to engage with such and such a business school, or we're going to take everybody away and do this big event, like is terrifying because you still got this other expense. And if the real estate portfolio you know, load gets reduced, I think executives will very quickly fill the gap um, using some of those savings to like deliver a better experience overall. There has to be, I think, an executive level head of what it feels like to work here, where they may, may not have direct accountability over training and real estate budget, but can break the tie and say, oh, yeah, we should actually get rid of that office that nobody really likes and take all of that money we've saved and solve the learning issue we know we've struggled with for years uh, or the retention issue or anything else and to connect, connect across the lines. And I'm wondering about, have we just lost the era of the prestige address? Because the youngsters don't care. I think it's the new prestige address. Like, so if I think about our Atlanta office, our Atlanta office was at 133 Peachtree Street. So right in downtown, iconic office building, beautiful view of the surrounding area. That was the old iconic. We've moved to 725 Ponce, right on the Beltline, right next to Ponce City Market, what 20 years ago, no one would have envisioned this neighborhood being anything like what it is today, but it is the most convenient to walk to, to bike to, to have an apartment near. You know, so it, it may be trading the traditional right on Peachtree to the environment where people want to live. In New York, it might be instead of living in Midtown, are we opening something in Brooklyn? But the office or the idea of the office is back in the mix as part of the norm. And I'm tr trying to get my head around is how do we renormalize without a mandate and just creating some draw because people, oh, I get to see the boss there. Oh, I get a little FaceTime. Oh, we're going to go out ap after work for drinks. The idea that we start building some momentum because it becomes rehabitualized. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and for me, the key is, is choice. There are thousands of permutations of reasons why we might or might not go from the weather and transit to who, who do I think is going to be there. So it's hard and it's easier for us to just stay put. So in order to implement the kind of choice architecture that we need, like you have to make it not hard for us to make the right decision. Uh, you first have to identify, as you said, sort of the, those moments that matter, both at the 
organizational level, uh, the unit level, um, all the way down to someone who might need uh, some coaching or like just some some time with a colleague because they're having a, a rough week. Uh, and once you can identify the sort of moments that matter, ideally through measuring outcomes, like giving people, uh, teams and, and leaders together, the data to decide like what was a good or bad outcome for uh, sales, engagement, training, strategy, meeting, innovation, uh, to then use the technology you have at your disposal to suggest the next best action, which could be get rid of a meeting because it's not so great, uh, and then test and learn because th then you can condition everybody back to a state where we are seeking time together, whether or not it's in the office traditionally, but it, it will renormalize our use of space to do something that is objectively good, both for the company and for our own like personal success and, and well-being. And I agree with you that that choice will gravitate towards the kind of two or three to, you know, day per week middle. Phil, you mentioned test and learn. Is there a test and learn equivalent to an experimenting with workplace design for leaders who want to get started, but maybe can't invest massively in a major transformation? Yeah, I think that the two simplest tools that are out there that most people and companies just simply don't think of is, again, like transactional, serviced, flexible, co-working, whatever you want to call it, workspace, on demand, and in any large metropolitan area now available in pretty significant and growing supply. Uh, it's a really easy way to not spend very much money and to try something. If you're willing to communicate to your employees, like this is a test it's not going to look the way we want to make it. It's not going to necessarily be in the place we want to put it. But we have a chance to try putting two groups together or a different configuration of furniture or any. We can try it in a way that's not as scary as taking a lease that might go bad for 10 years. Um, and, and on the furniture point, like furniture can be rented. That was not a common practice before, but the sort of furniture as a service is also becoming more common. So if you're willing to message, we're going to try something out, which is a phrase that, again, would give almost any traditional facility manager a heart attack. Um, if leaders can support them, say, look, we're willing to try and make mistakes and own the mistakes. Like, ah, we, we, you know, we built a room like this. Nobody liked it. We're not going to do that again. Just that level of authenticity, I think, is incredibly engaging. Thanks all. Great discussion. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lucia Rahilly with Brian Hancock and Bill Shanninger. Subscribe to McKinsey Talks Talent wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions for Brian and Bill, write to us at McKinseyTalksTalent at McKinsey.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we may answer your question on the show. Be well. Can we just make sure that She's ready to receive it. She had a wonderful interaction with her dog, where the dog the dog just flat out slapped I Lucia around. I did mention puppies earlier. Lucia, Lucia tried Lucia tried to talk to talk sternly to the dog. The dog's like, no, you're that just going to pet me and or feed happened. me right now. That it was not spectacular. At all what happened? Really? I saw you scolding, and then I saw the.